Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Journey with me through the entire Bible in one year, focusing on the biblical calendar, the Sabbath, the feasts, and the Torah reading cycle. In this broadcast, you will be listening to two days of readings from the Scriptures. If you would like to listen every day, just go to dailyaudiotorah.com and listen in. We have many voices, interpretations, and points of view out there, but there is nothing like listening to the crystal clean, pure Word of God in your life. It is living water for your spirit. As it is written in Romans 10:17. So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Monday, July 4th. I want to draw your attention to a page on the Daily Audio Torah website. Click on the Connect pick on the navigation menu and connect with us through our newsletter, Israel on Target and War Room Report. What do we cover? With Israel on Target, we give you the top news stories coming from Israel with scriptures to pray over Israel. With the War Room Report, wake up. The world is at war. It is an unconventional war. It is a cultural war. It is a communications and media war. It is a political war. It is an economic war. It is an ideological war. It is a war for your mind and thoughts. And at the deepest level, it is a spiritual war between light and darkness, between good and evil, between Yahovah and Satan. We need intel to pray strategically. That is the purpose of the War Room Report, to give you the intel you need so you can successfully fight the spiritual war with power and precision. We share practical knowledge, truth, and facts that you won't find in the mainstream media world. What we cover in the War Room Report. All things COVID, resources and remedies, big tech censorship, Israel and the Middle East, where the hot war will most likely start, deep state and globalist agenda, the folks in the shadows pulling the strings, election fraud and ongoing forensic audits, CCP infiltration into America. Go to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Connect pick in the navigation menu. Then subscribe to our newsletter. It goes out two to three times a month. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. 
This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Chukat, and it means ordinance. Numbers 19, 15-22 This is the ritual. When a person dies in a tent, whoever enters the tent and whoever is in the tent shall be unclean for seven days, and every open vessel with no lid fastened down shall be unclean. And in the open, anyone who touches a person who was killed or who died naturally or a human bone or a grave shall be unclean for seven days. Some of the ashes from the fire of cleansing shall be taken for the unclean person, and fresh water shall be added to them in a vessel. A person who is clean shall take hyssop, dip it in the water, and sprinkle on the tent and on all the vessels and people who were there, or on him who touched the bones, or the person who was killed, or died naturally, or the grave. The clean person shall sprinkle it upon the unclean person on the third day, and on the seventh day, thus cleansing him by the seventh day. He shall then wash his clothes and bathe in water, and at nightfall he shall be clean. If anyone who has become unclean fails to cleanse himself, that person shall be cut off from the congregation, for he has defiled Hashem's sanctuary. The water of lustration was not dashed on him. He is unclean. That shall be for them a law for all time. Further, he who sprinkled the water of lustration shall wash his clothes, and whoever touches the water of lustration shall be unclean until evening. Whatever that unclean person touches shall be unclean, and the person who touches him shall be unclean until evening. Second Kings 23, 31-25-30 Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamatal, daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He did what was displeasing to Hashem, just as his fathers had done. Pharaoh Necho imprisoned him in Riblah, in the region of Hamath, to keep him from reigning in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land an indemnity of one hundred kikarim of silver and a kikar of gold. Then Pharaoh Necho appointed Eliakim, son of Yoshiahu, king in place of his father, Yoshiahu, changing his name to Jehoiakim. He took Jehoiakaz and brought him to Egypt, where he died. Jehoiakim gave Pharaoh the silver and the gold, and he made an assessment on the land to pay the money demanded by Pharaoh. He exacted from the people of the land the silver and gold to be paid Pharaoh Necho, according to each man's assessment. Jehoiakim was twenty-five years old when he became king, and he reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebudah, daughter of Padiah of Rumah. He did what was displeasing to Hashem, just as his ancestors had. In his days, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. 
Hashem let loose against him the raiding bands of the Chaldeans, Arameans, Moabites, and Ammonites. He let them loose against Yehuda to destroy it, in accordance with the word that Hashem had spoken through his servants the Nevi'im. All this befell Yehuda at the command of Hashem, who banished them from his presence because of all the sins that Manasseh had committed, and also because of the blood of the innocent that he shed. For he filled Jerusalem with the blood of the innocent, and Hashem would not forgive. The other events of Jehoiakim's reign and all of his actions are recorded in the annals of the kings of Yehuda. Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and his son Jehoiakim succeeded him as king. The king of Egypt did not venture out of his country again, for the king of Babylon had seized all the land that had belonged to the king of Egypt, from the wadi of Egypt to the river Euphrates. Jehoiakim was eighteen years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nehushta, daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. He did what was displeasing to Hashem, just as his father had done. At that time the troops of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon marched against Jerusalem, and the city came under siege. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon advanced against the city while his troops were besieging it. Thereupon King Jehoiakim of Yehuda, along with his mother and his courtiers, commanders, and officers, surrendered to the king of Babylon. The king of Babylon took him captive in the eighth year of his reign. He carried off from Jerusalem all the treasures of the house of Hashem and the treasures of the royal palace. He stripped off all the golden decorations and the temple of Hashem, which King Solomon of Israel had made, as Hashem had warned. He exiled all of Jerusalem, all the commanders and all the warriors, ten thousand exiles as well as all the craftsmen and smiths, only the poorest people in the land were left. He deported Jehoiakim to Babylon, and the king's wives and officers and the notables of the land were brought as exiles from Jerusalem to Babylon, all the able men to the number of seven thousand, all of them warriors trained for battle, and a thousand craftsmen and smiths were brought to Babylon as exiles by the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon appointed Madaniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place, changing his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was twenty-one years old when he became king, and he reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He did what was displeasing to Hashem, just as Jehoiakim had done. Indeed, Jerusalem and Yehuda were a cause of anger for Hashem, so that he cast them out of his presence. Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And in the ninth year of his reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar moved against Jerusalem with his whole army. He besieged it, and they built towers against it all around. The city continued in a state of siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become acute in the city. There was no food left for the common people. Then the wall of the city was breached. All the soldiers left the city by night through the gate between the double walls 
which is near the king's garden. The Chaldeans were all around the city, and the king set out for the Arabah. But as the Chaldean troops pursued the king, and they overtook him in the steps of Jericho, as his entire force left him and scattered, they captured the king and brought him before the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they put him on trial. They slaughtered Zedekiah's sons before his eyes, and then Zedekiah's eyes were put out. He was chained in bronze fetters, and he was brought to Babylon. On the seventh day of the fifth month, that was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards, an officer of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of Hashem, the king's palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He burned down the house of every notable person. The entire Chaldean force that was with the chief of the guard tore down the walls of Jerusalem on every side. The remnant of the people that was left in the city, the defectors who had gone over to the king of Babylon, and the remnant of the population were taken into exile by Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards. But some of the poorest in the land were left by the chief of the guards to be vine dressers and field hands. The Chaldeans broke up the bronze columns of the house of Hashem, the stands, and the bronze tank that was in the house of Hashem, and they carried the bronze away to Babylon. They also took all the pails, scrapers, snuffers, ladles, and all the other bronze vessels used in the service. The chief of the guards took whatever was of gold and whatever was of silver, firepans and sprinkling bowls. The two columns, the one tank, and the stands that Solomon provided for the house of Hashem, all these objects contained bronze beyond weighing. The one column was eighteen amot high. It had a bronze capital above it. The height of the capital was three amot, and there was a meshwork with pomegranates about the capital, all made of bronze. And the like was true of the other column with its meshwork. The chief of the guards also took Sariah, the chief Kohen, Sephania, the deputy Kohen, and the three guardians of the threshold. And from the city he took a eunuch, who was in command of the soldiers, five royal privy councillors who were present in the city, the scribe of the army commander who was in charge of mustering the people of the land, and sixty of the common people who were inside the city. Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. The king of Babylon had them struck down and put to death at Riblah in the region of Hamath. Thus Yehuda was exiled from its land. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon put Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, in charge of the people whom he left in the land of Yehuda. When the officers of the troops and their men heard that the king of Babylon had put Gedaliah in charge, they came to Gedaliah at Mitzpah with Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, Yochanan, son of Kareah, Sariah, son of Tanhumath, the Netophathite, and Jazaniah, son of the Machite, together with their men. Gedaliah reassured them and their men, saying, Do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Stay in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it will go well with you. 
In the seventh month, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, son of Elishama, who was of royal descent, came with ten men, and they struck down Gedaliah, and he died. They also killed the Judeans and the Chaldeans who were present with him at Mitzpah. And all the people, young and old, and the officers of the troops set out and went to Egypt, because they were afraid of the Chaldeans. In the thirty-seventh year of the exile of King Jehoiakim of Jehudah, on the twenty-seventh day of the twelfth month, King Evil-Merodach of Babylon, in the year he became king, took note of King Jehoiakim of Jehudah and released him from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a throne above those of other kings who were with him in Babylon. His prison garments were removed, and Jehoiakim received regular rations by his favor for the rest of his life. A regular allotment of food was given him at the instance of the king, an allotment for each day, all the days of his life. Acts 22.17-23.10 Now it happened, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, that I was in a trance. And I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then, as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging, so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. And then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? And then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was a high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other 
Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now, when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them, and bring him into the barracks. Psalm 2, 1-12 Why do the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath, and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Proverbs 18.13 He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. I want to speak to you today from 2 Kings chapters 24 and 25, and these chapters recount a very, very significant moment in the history of the nation of Israel. And let's just look into that and unpack that. In Second Kings chapter 25, verse 10, it is written, At that time the troops of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon marched against Jerusalem, and the city came under siege. Verse 11, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon advanced against the city while his troops were besieging it. So what this chapter begins to tell us is about this major attack against Jerusalem from Babylon, from King Nebuchadnezzar. Down in verse 14 it reads, He exiled all of Jerusalem, all the commanders and all the warriors, 10,000 exiles, as well as all the craftsmen and smiths. Only the poorest people in the land were left. The Israel Bible commentary to this verse reads as follows. 
During the first stage of the exile to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar carried away all the leaders of the children of Israel in the stage of exile known as Galut Cherish Unmaskar, the exile of the craftsmen and smiths. During this exile, the royalty, military elite, Torah scholars, and all the dignitaries were taken away from Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar left behind only the poor people, ruled by a government under his control. By depriving the people of their leadership, Nebuchadnezzar believed that he would end all possibility of revolt against his rule. Yet, due to Hashem's intention to destroy the city, a rebellion leading to the ultimate destruction will take place. Despite the plans of even the most powerful human beings, God's plans can never be thwarted. Continuing on in the next chapter, chapter 25, that was from chapter 24. And let's look in chapter 25, starting in verse 1. And in the ninth year of his reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar moved against Jerusalem with his whole army. He besieged it, and they built towers against it all around. The city continued in a state of siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become acute in the city. There was no food left for the common people. And then the wall of the city was breached. All the soldiers left the city by night through the gate between the double walls, which is near the king's garden. The Chaldeans were all around the city, and the king set out for the Arabah. Now this date that it happened on the ninth day of the fourth month, that is known as the ninth of Av. That's when the walls were breached. And that's when the Roman so or the uh, Babylonian soldiers came in with Nebuchadnezzar and destroyed the city and burned all the houses of the dignitaries and the leaders and they also burned the temple. And this happened on the ninth of Av. It was a very dark day in Jewish history. And how did this whole ninth of Av business begin. It started when the ten spies came back with a negative report about the land. And their negative report spread fear, doubt, and unbelief throughout the camp. And the people rose up against Moses and said, we cannot take this land. We're like grasshoppers in the eyes of these people. And they're giants. And so because of their fear, doubt, and unbelief, and believing the negative report of these ten spies, God, God's consequence and punishment for them was that they were to wander for 40 years in the wilderness, and only their children would go into the promised land. When did that happen? It happened on the ninth of Av. That's where it all started. It started there. So here's another very dark day in Jewish history. The temple was destroyed on the ninth of Av, this first temple, the one built by Solomon. Now, later on, hundreds of years later, another temple is built. Herod oversees it. And again, this temple is destroyed by the Roman general Titus. And he breaches the walls and destroys the temple and burns it, not just on any random day, but on the ninth of Av. We are rapidly coming into the ninth of Av for this year. 
And so it is a day that the Jewish people take that day, and it's a day of mourning, it's a day of fasting, it's a day of remembering all of the painful things that have happened to the Jewish people collectively over the centuries. It was on the 9th of Av that the final solution to the Jewish problem was um, presented to the leadership, to Hitler, and it was approved. It was on the 9th of Av that Treblinka went live and they opened up their doors to execute the Jews and to exterminate them. And so um, it was on the 10th of Av that the Gaza Strip uh, eviction uh, the forced eviction of the of the Jewish settlers. It was originally scheduled for the 9th of Av, but they realized, oops, that's a, not a good day to do that. So they moved it up one day to the 10th of Av. So how is God going to turn this around? He is. He's going to turn it around. And in Zechariah chapter 8, let me just get there. There's a prophecy and a promise that this day of gloom, this day of sorrow, this day of um, all these bad things that have happened is going to turn around to become a day of joy, rejoicing and feasting. Zechariah chapter 8, starting in verse 18. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, that's the ninth of Av, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feast for the house of Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of the hosts. And I myself will go also. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. And thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from every language of the nation shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So what this prophecy is saying is that the the ninth of Av, the fast of the fourth month, is going to become a day of joy and gladness and cheerfulness for who? For the house of Judah, for the Jewish people. How is that going to happen? How will this day of, of terrible grief and sorrow and loss become a day of rejoicing? Well, I believe it's when Christians, non-Jews, embrace the history, our bloody history, and we take responsibility for it, and we, we keep the ninth of Av, and we, we pray and we repent for the sins of our forefathers, the sins of our forefathers. We have blood on our hands. We have a bloody history. We have the Crusades. We have the Holocaust. We have all of the um, expulsions. And many of these things took place in the name of Christianity, in the name of Christ. And so we have some repenting to do. And as we do that, as we take responsibility for the sins of our forefathers, I believe that's how this ninth of Av day is going to flip from being a sad day of mourning 
to a day of rejoicing for the Jewish people. Now, why should we do this? I personally didn't do those sins against the Jewish people. I love the Jewish people. I love the the land of Israel. But here's the scriptural basis for it. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers which with their unfaithfulness, in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they have also walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If their uncircumcised hearts are humbled, and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham will I remember. I will remember the land. And so I would submit to you, coming back to verse 40, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 40, if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, that that can include our church forefathers. And the word iniquity is significant. So there's sin, there's transgression, and there's iniquity. Sin can be thought of like the leaves of a tree. You miss the mark. Maybe you sinned and you didn't even know it. You didn't know not to eat pork. You just didn't know. You didn't know to keep the Sabbath and you just did the Sunday thing. Okay, you just didn't know. Okay, sin is to miss the mark, like an arrow that misses the target. Transgression is like the trunk of the tree. This is sin that becomes a pattern. It's habitual. It's over and over. It's repeating. But iniquity is like the roots of the tree. This can be like generational sin that goes down through the generations. And this is the kind of sin that we really need to repent of, the iniquity, the generational sin. So there has been anti-Semitism in the church for centuries, replacement theology, uh, for centuries, this has gone on, that somehow the church in its arrogance has replaced Israel, and all of the promises and the covenants that God has given to Israel are now uh, null and void for the Jewish people, and now all those covenants and promises are for the church. That's replacement theology, and saying, well, Jesus nailed the Torah to the cross, and we're no longer under the law anymore. Now we're under grace. We don't follow the Torah. We follow the Holy Spirit. That's replacement theology. And in Romans 11, we have the olive tree, which is Israel, and there are two kinds of branches that get grafted into this tree. There are wild branches. That's us, the non-Jews. The, gen, uh, the ten tribes of the north, the non-Jewish part of the nation of Israel, we get grafted in by faith. And then there's the natural branches. They were broken off, but they get grafted back in also. Both, and the natural branches are the Jews, the Jewish people. And that the roots of that tree are the patriarchs. It's Moses and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and of course, Yeshua is the main taproot of that tree. But but this, the roots of this tree is the Torah. It's um, uh, and Yeshua is the Torah made flesh. And so we tap into the Torah. We tap into the life blood of understanding the Torah and following it by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So as we approach the ninth of Av this year, we want to remember and 
and repent and pray. And if you would like to participate in that, I invite you to go to the website, uh, Ninth of Av, and the website is the number nine dash av dot com. That is the number nine dash av dot com. You can sign a declaration of repentance there. You will then get onto their mailing list and, um, they're going to have a trip to Israel, but it's probably too late to sign up for the trip. But they'll also have ways that you can participate with that effort. And with that, we'll say goodbye and shalom and have a blessed day. Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.